Welcome back to Sister Sleuths. I'm Courtney. I'm Danny. And I'm Kim. And we stop talking immediately after, just like every always. single time. <laughs> I like. I feel like we should. We have to write more to the script. It's fine. Danny has We're a story for us today, though. Here. A pre-story <laughs> to our real story. Yeah, let's hear it, Danny. Oh, well, it's I'll dirty laundry time. Day. I don't know I mean, this is dirty laundry, but not it is. my dirty laundry, but it's kind of interesting and sad because so we moved to this area. I don't know if anyone knows this or not. We moved to Indiana. We only talk about it every episode. But, <laughs> yeah, um, this is stupid. <laughs> I know, right? Um, so we moved to well, we're technically in Illinois, but my husband's working in Indiana, and the town that he's working in. Um, the other night, there was a double homicide elderly couple in their home. And it is the saddest thing because just like the day before or a couple days before this lady and her husband got murdered, um, she was speaking in like the town meeting or whatever about how unsafe she feels in their neighborhood like there was some like petty theft and some um she was saying in the because there's a video of it and it's actually sad because you think like she died um how things were getting taken from her property that were not seen from like the road so like people were messing in her yard or in her garage or like looking for stuff that's creepy Right. And so she was, she said that in the meeting, she's like, I'm concerned because our neighborhood is like going to crap basically. And she was right, apparently. And I just keep thinking, I told Larry, I was like, what if she saw like a drug deal or what if they like saw something in her house or something like, I don't know. Right. She saw something she shouldn't see. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's so sad because we actually had looked at a house. We'd driven by a house on this street. And guess what it's called? Mulberry Street. Isn't that like the sweetest road sound like name? It's so Dr. Susie. Right. Yeah, like, you would oh. think it'd be Happy Town. Yeah. But nay nay. Not, not Murderberry Street. <laughs> Murderberry Street. <laughs> like Nightmare on Murderberry Street. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Ugh, it's kind of got a ring to it, though. Yeah. I mean, kind of. But I thought that was really sad. And now Larry's like, should we move to Mount Vernon? I'm like, probably not. No. no. Hard pass. Hard pass. Hard pass. And then, yeah. oh, this is actually another thing. Um, I don't know if you've been to Illinois and Indiana, but there's fields everywhere. Ooh. And we drove past another house. It was It was super cute. The whole backyard, though, and around both sides of the house was cornfields. And I was like, and I was Hell talking no. to Larry. I was I talking like to that. Larry. And I'm like, except for our kids would turn into, like, children of the corn. And Cameron was like, so we're going to need to watch children of the corn so we can become the children <laughs> of the corn. I'm like, um, can you oh, Does she, oh she knows God. it's a scary movie? No. I mean, she or knows it's a scary, scary movie, but she didn't know, like, the parents get murdered. Yeah, they kill. Spoiler alert. alert. She was like, "Uh, that sounds like fun. How do we become (laughs) children of the corn? Is that a book? Children of the corn for dummies? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Dummies guide to murdering your parents. The moral of this whole story is finding a house here is fun. (laughs) Yeah. Everything's going to be creepy. So you just have to choose haunted house 
Murder Street, or Children of the Corn. Yeah, That's you just got to lean into it. Lean into <laughs> the creepy. <laughs> yeah, I think so. All right. Courtney, you got it this week, huh? Yes, I do. And I'm not going to yawn through the whole thing, so don't even worry. <laughs> yeah, get your shit together. <laughs> yeah, I get like all <laughs> the sleeps at night. Like, if you can imagine how much sleep, I get all of it. Yeah. Two toddlers, basically, and belly baby. Yeah. I feel like you get a solid nine to ten hours a night. <laughs> totally. <laughs> totally. You said minutes, right? Nine to ten minutes? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But That's it's broken up minutes, too. It's like two minutes here, three minutes yes. here. Okay, well, yes. I have the story for us this week. Well, and I'm it's excited. about Yes. And speaking of, like, children of the corn kind of thing. Yeah. This is about... An 11-year-old serial killer. Ooh, do tell. So. That's great. Not creepy at all. No, no, no. Not at all. (laughs) Especially once you see her picture. Not creepy (laughs) in the least. No. She looks completely nice and normal. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, on May 26, 1957, Betty Bell, a 17-year-old girl, gave birth to a daughter and named her Mary Flora Bell. It's unknown who Mary's father is, but about a year after Mary was born, Betty married a man named Billy Bell who took Mary in as his own. Mary's life and upbringing were not great. Her mother, Betty, was an unstable alcoholic who was working as a prostitute, and Billy was a criminal and an alcoholic as well. So starts great. We know how well that usually goes. Yeah. Yeah. Mary grew up in an impoverished area in Newcastle, England called Scotswood. It was a very poor community known for its high crime rate and police presence because of all the crime that was happening. Despite all so of this though, you would Mulberry Street. <laughs> yeah, it was Murderberry Street. <laughs> yeah. Murderberry Town. But despite all that, you would often find the local children playing outside in the streets for hours without any parental supervision. Like little kids starting from like age two would just be out playing in the rundown streets until all hours of the night. Like I can't imagine that. It's like, okay, Grayson. See you later. When the the streetlights come on. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Streetlights turn on. No. Yeah, I honestly can't imagine that because I won't even let my 13-year-old go out by herself. So, like, yeah. a two- or three-year-old, that seems... And you can't even say, like, oh, well, you know, it was a different time then because it wasn't. Like, this story is going to show you that it wasn't. Yeah, it for sure wasn't. <laughs> okay, so, like I mentioned before, Mary's mom, Betty, was a sex worker who specialized in the weird stuff like stranglings and whippings. Oh, she and, was a dominatrix. Ooh. Yeah. And allegedly, Yikes. Betty would even have clients who would pay her to sexually abuse Mary. Oh. So, love that as a mother, you know, just, yeah. yep, here you go. Yeah, and then wonder why your daughter turns so out terribly. Yeah, weird. exactly. Betty was bipolar and an alcoholic and just treated Mary very poorly. There's even a story about how Mary used to be like a chronic bedwetter, but she would be afraid to fall asleep at night in fear of having an accident because when Mary would wet the bed, 
her mom would sometimes rub her face in it or even like hang the mattress up outside for the whole community to see. Oh, wow. It's like shaming her. And there were also multiple times where Mary's mom tried to kill her. One time, Mary accidentally, I say that with like quotes, took some sleeping pills. I I heard the air quotes in that. Yeah. And then another time she was even hospitalized and had to have her stomach pumped. And Mary told the doctor that her mom had given her Smarties. Hmm. Oh, my god. Another occasion, Mary fell from a two-story window, and Betty even tried to choke Mary out on a few different occasions. Wow. Mother of the year. Yeah. Seriously. I even saw something that said, like, the first words that she said to her, like, when she was born, like, the first thing that she said was just, like, get that thing away from me. Oh. So. That's so mean. Yeah. That's awful. I can't even imagine doing that to my child like that's so crazy well she sounds like a gem i'm so glad that her kids turned her kid turned out normal right yeah totally yeah i'm sure none of this carried into her life anyway this is just a story about a normal kid yeah who just like went to school (laughs) and drew pictures yeah skipped rope Mm -hmm. um betty even just gave mary away once to a stranger she was Just going. Like, why was that hey, so funny? <laughs> <laughs> no, like for real. She went to an adoption clinic, and this <gasps> woman came out like crying because you know they she wasn't able to adopt a child. And so Betty just pushed Mary toward her and pretty much just said, "You can have this one." She's like, "Here," and then just Holy left. Fuck. And so but, what? Like no take backsies? Like what happened? <laughs> so <laughs> Betty's sister had been following them around that day and she saw what happened and she went back and told Betty's mom, who apparently is a good mom. I don't know. Oh my word. And she pretty much like threatened Betty to go get Mary back or else. And so Betty just oh. like went back and got her. I'm oh like, the gosh, lady. Don't you think? You know what the this makes had, me like, think gone of? The lady and bought her clothes and, like, all this stuff. Like, she was probably so happy. Like, oh, I have a kid now. I don't care this... how it happened. I'm... She, yeah. like, spoiling her, buying her clothes. And I guess she, like, told Betty she could take all the brand new clothes that she had bought Mary and stuff. This oh, makes me think about... <laughs> this is so off topic. The people on the blog shop, like, they, they adopt <laughs> a dog. And they're like, actually, it's not a <laughs> anymore and I want to get rid of it. Like, yeah, yeah. they put yeah, it on the yeah. blog shop and all the people that are like, no, you have that responsibility for its life or whatever. Yeah. Which is weird because, like, the puppy stage is literally the worst. Like, they're <laughs> yeah. cute, but they they're act cute, but awful. They're awful. Yeah, totally. Which is kind of like the toddler stage. Oddly enough, yes. Of a child. Mm-hmm. I've decided that a dog isn't any good until it's about 10. 100. <laughs> 10. <laughs> <laughs> when it's really old and then it it's can't like, move. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's sad to think that Mary probably would have ended up so much better if she had just like been left with that stranger lady. Oh yeah, like that lady already just from like however long the hour or two that she had Mary, she was already taking care of her better than her own mom. Yeah, well, I mean, her own mom said, you want a baby? Here's one. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I couldn't find anywhere, like, what age Mary was when she just, like, handed her off. I hope she was probably pretty young. 
I oh, assume. can you imagine being old enough to like understand get it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that'd be awful. But Aww. also the tra- that kind of traumatizing thing would make sense to how she turned out. Oh, for sure. Um, Mary's aunt and uncle would watch her a lot and they even tried to adopt her, but Betty would refuse. Even though she would just randomly show up saying, I can't do this anymore, I can't handle her, and then just like leave. She would always come back and get her, even though they were like, we'll keep her. It's okay. We want to keep her. She would always come back. So it was just like this constant back and forth of her saying, you take her. I can't handle it. And then she'd still come back and Hmm. get her. So my theory with that is that she just like ended up having too many clients that wanted to pay her for time with Mary. I also thought of that. And so she wanted that money. That's that so is horrible. disgusting. Because that's the only thing that makes sense. Like, if she oh, literally yeah. gave her away once, why wouldn't she take someone up yeah. on her offer? I mean, she obviously her. didn't care. So yeah, it wasn't no. about that. Profit yeah. makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Which is so awful. So, Mary wasn't very social. And she met her first real friend at four years old. Only to see that same friend get hit and killed by a bus right in front of her. What? Holy shit. That so, is a lot of traumatizing stuff. Yeah, oh, just like oh. out on the street. I mean, I, I guess it makes sense if all the kids are like playing out on the road and no one's watching them. Wow. But can you imagine at four years old seeing that? I don't know. I'm, I'm 30 and I don't want to see my friend get no, hit by a yeah. bus. Well, it's often. No, just kidding. Not really. <laughs> Depends <laughs> on my friend. Right. Uh, so once Mary started going to school, she became known as like a compulsive liar and she had very like violent tendencies. She was literally trying to st- strangle kids on the playground. She, but like nothing would ever happen to her. I don't know if they were just like, hey, maybe don't do that. And then just let her yeah. go. I don't like, know. Like, oh, we don't strangle kids. Let's make better choices. <laughs> we don't do that. Yeah, probably. So she finally met a girl who was a couple of years older than her named Norma, and they became fast friends and started doing everything together. Norma was described as being simple and having learning dis- uh, like difficulties or disability. And so she kind of just went along with whatever Mary said, um, which wouldn't turn out great for her. On May 11th, of the year Mary was 10 and Norma was 12, they took this three-year-old boy named John to get a treat from the store. And then about an hour later, Mary and Norma brought the boy who was like bleeding and crying into a nearby pub and claimed they found him by some old sheds nearby. It was later found out that the boy fell from a ledge But nothing happened to Norma or Mary after this incident. But, like, later on in her life, Mary admitted to pushing the boy off of the ledge. Yeah, I was going to say fell, air quotes. Yeah. But he made a full recovery, thankfully. Wow. So, the very next day, May 12th, Mary attacked another child, just completely unprovoked. 
There were three girls, seven-year-old Pauline, six-year-old Susan, and six-year-old Cindy were playing in a sand pit at a daycare. And Pauline recounted the events by saying that Norma held her down while Mary strangled her and tried to shove sand down her throat. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, she said that she could tell that Norma, like, got, like, scared of seeing what Mary was doing. And so she let up on her a little bit. So Pauline was able to struggle free. And then Mary just turned around and went to do the same thing on Cindy. Um, they said, Mary said, what happens when you cho choke someone? Do they die? And then proceeded to put her hands around Cindy's neck and squeeze. Oh my gosh. She was yeah. all about the old adage, like, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again. Yes. But in the worst way possible. But, like, totally learned that from her mom, <laughs> who yeah. tried to kill her in multiple different ways. Yeah. Give her away. Mm-hmm. Both girls had bruises and marks on their necks for days after, and the moms of the girls, like, went and reported it to the police, but... Nothing was really done. And Mary's violent behavior just got worse. Well, yeah, because she's doing all these horrible things and people are just and like. literally eh. no one's. Yeah, like, okay, well, maybe try not to do that. Yeah. You're going to get a firm you know talking what to, young lady. <laughs> yeah. You know what she sounds like? She sounds like, um, do you guys remember that movie, The Good Son? With Macaulay Culkin. Vaguely. And uh, Elijah Wood, right? Is he here yes. too? Yes. And they're I do vaguely remember like, that. Freaking psycho. That's yeah. I was like looking at Mary Bell's picture and I'm like, oh, she's freaking psycho looking, even in just that picture. She's super crazy looking. I forgot about that movie. That's a good movie. It's freaky. It's anything with like young kids doing stuff like that is yeah. freaky. Yeah, horrible. So, on May 25th, 1968, the body of four-year-old Martin Brown was found by two boys in an abandoned house. There was no obvious cause of death, and police just assumed that Martin had swallowed pills from a discarded bottle that was found nearby. And then the next day, Norma Bell's... She's not related to Mary. This is the friend. Yeah. Her father caught Mary choking his 11-year-old daughter. And he slapped her and sent her home. I'm, <laughs> I'm sure that did a lot. Because she doesn't get that at home. Yeah. Probably. So. Yeah. And she then. Was like, That's fine. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Later that day, a local nursery school was vandalized. And police discovered notes that read. I'm going to edit this. F off. We murder, watch out, Fanny, and then, you know, the. A slur. F slur. Mm -hmm. And then another one that said, we did murder Martin Brown. F off, you bastard. Wow. And it was all written in like, like not spelling kid was writing. off. And yeah, it was clearly like a kid. And then four days later, Mary appeared at the Brown residence and asked to see Martin. And the mom was like, oh, like, remember, he's gone. And Mary said, oh, I know he's dead. I wanted to see him in his coffin. Ew. Yeah. I watched a 
like a short documentary and they actually interviewed Martin Brown's mom and -hmm. the way she talks about that happening. Like she honestly, when Mary first came to the door felt bad, like this little girl had forgotten or didn't realize Mm -hmm. what was happening. And then when she said that she was just so taken aback by it, like what the actual fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone at this point just thinks that he died by like taking some random pills he found. Yeah. Like an accidental thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't so like that. So on on May 31st, they had installed this new alarm system at the nursery school that was vandalized and it went off. And when police came to the scene, they found Mary and Norma just like hanging out around the building. But they both denied that they were involved in the previous break-in and so they were just released. And back to their parents. I mean, I don't want to harp on this because I feel like I do every episode, but <laughs> excellent police work in this town. Yes. What? I can the kind fuck? of see that you wouldn't want to like automatically assume a kid would be involved in something like that. But it seems right, like but... like her name's around. Her name has got to be around that community of like how violent and freaking weird. She acts. Yeah, creepy. Plus, the notes were clearly written by children. Yeah, and then so they're hanging think. around. Yeah. Like, at least put some effort into looking into it. Yeah, yeah. So, two months go by, and then this three-year-old boy, Brian Howe, disappears. And so, a search starts... And Mary tells Brian's sister that he might be playing on a heap of concrete blocks that had been dumped out on a nearby vacant lot. And then he was discovered there. So, and he was dead. And he had been strangled and his legs and stomach had been mutilated with a razor and a pair of scissors the police oh. recovered at the scene. I read that they had carved their initials into Yes. When they questioned Mary and Norma, the girls' answers were really inconsistent. Mary claimed that she had seen an older boy abusing Brian, but Norma soon broke down and told the police that she watched Mary kill the boy. It makes you wonder, too, like, how involved was Norma And she just didn't want to be in trouble for it. Yeah. Like, even if Mary was, like, the main person, how involved really was Norma? Yeah, I don't know. And if she just kind of was following along, it's hard to say. Um, So, in December, well, I guess, so at this point, they, they connected it to the other boy. Yeah, Martin. I don't... I don't know if did they admit to it or did they just assume? Um I feel like I feel like I read somewhere that she had admitted to it. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe they were able to like tie in those notes to them. Right. That all that stuff. But like when they when she killed the other boy, because it doesn't take very much force. On a young kid like that, there weren't any marks on his neck. Yeah. So that's why they didn't assume that he was strangled at first. 
Um, so in December 1968, Norma was actually acquitted of all charges, and Mary was convicted on two counts of manslaughter. I hate that it was manslaughter because they were like, well, she's 11, so she doesn't even have the brain power to know what she did. But mm -hmm. she's 11. What the That's hell? That's pretty old. That's pretty old. Yeah. And, like, she killed two kids. I don't care if she's 11 or And she tried to kill, 40. like, a handful of other kids. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like it was just, like, a oops, we were playing too rough. No. It was like a, ah. I think I'm gonna fucking kill some people. Yeah. There was this letter that she wrote to her mom from prison. Um and it said, um, like, please, mom, put my tiny mind at ease. Tell judge and jury on your knees. They will listen to your cry of please. The guilty one is you, not me. I'm sorry it has to be this way. We'll both cry and you will go away. Tell them you are guilty, please. So then, Mom, I'll be free. Your daughter, Mary. Wow. And she sent that to her mom after the court found her guilty, which, I mean, like... She's not wrong, but, like... She's not. Yeah. But also, like, it's, like, everybody <laughs> needs to take accountability, right? Oh, definitely. Like, her mom didn't force her hand in killing those kids, but also her mom was a shit parent. Yeah. Yeah. She definitely screwed up her life, so... Yeah. So, she spent a total of 12 years at various institutions, and then she was released in 1980 at the age of 23. I just... And then... 12 years, and she killed two kids. Right? Makes me want to throw up. It's crazy. Well, and then they granted her anonymity. Mm-hmm. And, like, gave her a new life, pretty much. And then, it shocks so me she, how much they were trying to protect her. Like, she's yeah. a killer. Yeah. And you're going to give her a whole new life? Yeah. I I mean, there's not... They, I didn't find very much on, like, how how was she... Like, how did she prove that she was, like, rehabilitated enough to... Because I, I just don't know how you get over that much childhood trauma. Yeah. And, and then just, just be like, well, I'm fine now. Yeah. I'm 23 now. Yeah. So... Uh, like I'm good. Yeah, I don't. I don't get that. But she goes on. To, she had like a, a family. She had a daughter. Yeah. And they granted her daughter anonymity until she was 18. But then they went. Her and her daughter went back to court. Um, in 2003, to try to get anonymity for life, and it was granted to them. Wow. I just think that's such bullshit. Can you imagine, like, her daughter, like, when she found out, like, what her mom did as a child? Right. Like, can you imagine no. just, like, growing up and then all of a sudden one day, hey, mom killed two young kids when she was 11. Right. Can you imagine and just, just, like, how does that conversation start? Yeah. Okay, honey. How was school? <laughs> yeah. We <laughs> need to talk. I need to talk to you about something. <laughs> Like, for real, though. <laughs> Messed up. I don't know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Is she still alive? I never looked that up. Yeah, she is. Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. She still is. How old is she? 64, I think it says. years older than me. <laughs> okay, there you go. Yep, she's 64. 
I don't know how true this is, and I didn't notice this when I was doing research before, but on the, like, I guess this is from Wikipedia, the thing that pops up when you just search her. Yeah. Just on the front page of Google. It says that she would tell the boys that they had a sore throat, and so she would massage it I did before just strangling them. Yeah, I saw somewhere something Which, like that that should that's told them like it was a out. fun game. Yeah, a fun yeah, game they were going to play. That's like the definition of premeditation. <laughs> I agree. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Well, there you have it. That's the story of Mary Bell, the 11-year-old serial killer. All right, guys. We are back with Slain, and today we have our listener, Kim. And she's going to tell us her favorite or maybe, I don't know if it's your favorite, true crime story. <laughs> so Gabby's actually my daughter and she wanted me to do Slender Man. But I'm too chicken late at night to research <laughs> stuff like that. I'm yeah. so glad you're not because I'm it. in my car. I get it. It's dark and that's scary. <laughs> that's scary. But anyway, I did the Happy Face Killer, which is Ooh. weird. <laughs> anyway, his name is Keith Hunter Jesperson. He was um, born April 6, 1955, and he's considered a Canadian-American serial killer. And so um, he got that name because later on... Um, I'll share a couple things, but he drew smiley faces on many letters to the media and to authorities. Creepy. He was born to Les and Gladys Jesperson in Chilliwack, Chilliwack um, British Columbia in Can Canada. And some of these names I might slaughter, but... Oh, I do it all the time. You're not... <laughs> yeah. He was the middle child. <laughs> he had two brothers and two sisters. And so, like most serial killers' parents, dad was domineering a, a domineering alcoholic. That always happens. But he denied it. <laughs> and grandpa was also prone to violence. So, and then um, there was an author, Jack Olson, that wrote a book. I don't, I didn't see the title of the book, but he confirmed the abuse. Oh, so, generational. What's that? generational abuse yes oh. so keith was treated as an outcast he was very large in size so he was treated out as an outcast by his own family he was a lonely child he showed you guessed it propensity to torturing animals oh <laughs> and, of course he did yeah so he um they moved to here's another one i might Port, uh, slaughter Salah Washington sounds and, great uh, he had trouble fitting in brothers didn't help much because they called him Igor or Ig oh. which stuck with him all throughout school he was shy he was content to play by himself and he got in a lot of trouble for behaving badly and sometimes violently so when he behaved badly he got severely punished, beatings. Um, he got the belt in front of others. And once he got an electric shock. Oh my gosh. gosh. So, and animal torture started at five. Oh. 
He enjoyed watching them kill each other and the feeling he got taking their lives. Yikes. So that continued. Um, and he beat and strangled the animals. Um, he claims that his father was proud of it. Oh my so gosh. He thought about what it would be like to do the same to humans. So he had two attempted murders. One was at 10 years old. Oh. It was a friend named Martin. And he got in trouble. Um, Keith and Martin would get in trouble. But the blame would be shifted to Keith. So he, I guess that triggered him. He violently attacked Martin until his um, father pulled him away from him. And then later he claimed his intention was to kill that boy. Oh my gosh. So, and then about a year later, he was swimming and another boy held Keith underwater until he blacked out. And then sometime later at a public pool, Jesperson attempted to drown the boy until the lifeguard pulled him away. He reported that he was raped at 14. There were, I didn't see any more information on that. Mm -hmm. um, he graduated in 1973, no dates, no proms, no um, school dances. <clears throat> um, and he did not go to college because his dad didn't believe he could. Oh, that's so sad. I know, it is. Everything gets sadder. Yeah. But at once he um, finished high school, he got into a relationship with Rose Huke. And they had two daughters and one son. And it, it talked a little, a lot about his oldest daughter, Melissa. She actually um, has done, like she's been on, I'm trying to think what shows, um, Dr. Phil, Oprah, she's written books. She even, I saw that she had, and I tried to start to watch these, but I couldn't get on oxygen they locked up my shows oh, shoot. <laughs> <But> <laughs> um he anyway she also had gone around and i don't know how many she did but she kind of went to visit other children of serial killers to interview them oh my god so i'm interested to start to watch kind of her that's what's that? interesting i know so um Anyway, back to his marriage. He was a truck driver. They had two sons, one daughter. Um, and um, strange women would start to call the home. And so after about 14 years, Rose packed up and drove 200 miles to live with her parents in Spokane, Washington. That's when the daughter, Melissa, was 10. And it said that he would still, like if he was in town, he would... He would go visit the kids. Mm -hmm. So they were divorced in 1990. And so he was 45 and he was six foot seven and a half and approximately 240 pounds. So that gives wow. you an idea of how big he was. A big guy. Yeah. His goal was to join the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. If you could imagine, <laughs> he's already serial in his mind. Wow. And but he suffered an injury, so he wasn't able to do that. So he went back to um, Cheney, Washington, and he became a truck driver again. So um, 
This is a quote. Jesperson soon realized this job afforded him the opportunity to kill without being suspected. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So then his killing spree began. Um, On January 23rd of 1990 in Portland, Oregon, he went to a bar. He met Tanya Bennett, um, invited her to the house that he was renting. They got into an argument. I don't know what about. It was like night number one. And he strangled her with a rope and disposed of her body. But the crazy thing is, a woman named Laverne Pavlinak, she started hearing the reports and reading the news, and she saw this as an opportunity to end a long-term relationship with her abusive live-in boyfriend, John Sosnovosk. And so she did a false conviction. He was sentenced for life in prison, and Pavlinak... No less than 10 years, but she, huh, this is much more than I anticipated. So she admitted that she made up the story, but her claims were ignored. But then, like, um, more than five years later, on January 7th of 96, Jesperson and his attorney offered a confession with evidence of guilt. So he knew where, um, what's her name? Tanya's um, purse was. And so... They said that the location where he showed, only the killer would know. So he didn't like um, the attention that Pavlinak and Sosnoviks were getting. So he wrote a conve- confession on a bathroom wall in the truck stop. And it said, creepy, creepy. I beat her to death, raped her, and loved it. Uh, yes, oh I'm sick, gosh. but I enjoy myself too. And he, that's where he started putting the happy faces and got, that's when he started getting called the happy face killer. Yikes. Yeah. Gross. (laughs) So, um, that didn't get enough attention. So he started writing letters to media outlets and the police departments confessing to murders. The first one was a six page letter (coughs) to the Oregonian. And he started to tell them details of the killings. And Phil Stanford, which was one of the writers, dubbed Jesperson the happy face killer. So that was murder number one. And then two and a half years later, in August of 92, in Blythe, California, um, he there was a Jane Doe, which he called Claudia, that he raped and strangled. Strangulation was his what is what he did um so he's also gone from oregon to california a month later in turlock california cynthia lynn rose was a sex worker and he claimed that she entered his truck while he slept so he killed her larianne pentland in salem oregon in november of 1992 she doubled the sex fee, so he strangled her. Oh my gosh. Oh my and gosh. then um, more than six months later in June of 1993, in Santanella, California, this guy gets around, it was yeah. Carla or Cindy, um, but the police at first had thought that she had a drug overdose. So it took a while for that one for them to convict him. September of 1994, Crestview, Florida. 
was a Jane Doe that he claimed her name was Suzanne. And then he got arrested in March, of, March 30th of 1995 for the murder of Julie Winningham. And he had been questioned before, but the police didn't find grounds because wow. he refused to talk. So he decided he would certainly be arrested. So he made two suicide attempts, hoping that the result in leniency during this, his sentencing, hoping for a uh, leniency during his sentencing. That's so crazy. he had claimed to murder, uh, he claimed to have 185 victims, but only eight are confirmed. Oh, wow. oh my gosh. Yeah. So I don't know what victims means. Was that a death? Was that a... Right. Uh, was that a um, rape? Or, rape? Was uh, that yeah. strangled and they got away? I don't know. But wow. it was Washington, Oregon, California, Florida, Nebraska, and Wyoming. Wow. With him being a truck driver, I mean, yeah. everywhere. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, back, in, back earlier, it was an opportunity for him to be able to get away with those murders. That was yeah. the ideal job. Of course. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to like put a bunch of murders on one guy if he doesn't even live by where they take place. Yeah, and it would take a while to start to put like all the the strangulations and how it was done. Yeah. You know, together. He is serving three consecutive life sentences at um, Oregon State Penitentiary in Salem. But in September of 2009, he was indicted in and extradited to River County, California. Um, he was convicted of another murder and a fourth life sentence in January of 2010. I talked a little bit more about his daughter that she she remembers staying with him while his while they were married, and she remembered watching like she saw her dad hang kittens on a clothesline. <gasps> Oh. So she ran to get her mom and came back and watched watched him kill them and laugh while he did it. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. That is so sad. Anyway. That's heartbreaking. That's so sad. Yeah. Lots of murder. And he just, oh. I mean, I looked at him and he doesn't look like a, like a gem. Like, yeah. I don't think, oh, he's, he's good. I mean, he's just got catch. that. <laughs> And to go around, oh, I can do whatever I want and drive around the country and just strangle people. A little yeah. bit narcissistic. Oh, so. my gosh. The other day when I was on Hulu watching TV, I saw there was a 2020 about this guy. And I didn't click on it. But now I'm going to have to do that while I'm here. Now Christmas we're going to have to watch it. it. Yeah. And I yeah. tried to look on Hulu, but I think I have the cheapskate Hulu. So I don't know. <laughs> it's... And now I'm paying enough to be able to watch that. I'll have to look again. That is crazy. Well, we all have homework now. Now we have to watch that documentary. I'm watching it. I am going to watch <laughs> I think there several of them. And she was on Dr. Phil. So I'm, I'm finding all the episodes of everything and looking up yeah. the books. Sounds like there's a lot. I was just looking up. Wow. I'm going to put my Christmas tree up in about an hour. <laughs> and I'm going to watch this. And you're going to watch that while you do it? Uh-huh. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you well, thank for coming on the podcast. I was just going to say that. Thank you. <laughs> Have a good night, Kim. You too. Thanks so much. Thank, thank, thank you. Bye. Bye. So, so, so disturbing. Moral of the story is, if you're going to have kids, please don't be a shitty parent. Because they yeah. could just 
end up a serial killer and we don't need that and it's okay? your fault if they do yes if you're a shitty parent then you have to take some responsibility if your kids turn out shitty yes absolutely all right so listen kids don't do drugs and if someone tries to murder you or sex traffic you or kidnap you i said it backwards i'm fucking tired <laughs> then stab them in the dick thanks for listening we'll see you next time on sister, sister sleuths, sleuths.